The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Sports Talk New York. My name is Chris Kennedy, and I will be joined for the next hour by Bill Weissman. Bill, it can officially be confirmed that they have run out of people to host a radio show. Thank you. The show on this Sunday evening, July 31st, will be New York sports-centric with a strong emphasis on the local hockey scene. We have two guests tonight. At 8.10, we will have hockey writer from the New York Post, Larry Brooks. And at 8.35, we will have Post columnist Mike Vaccaro. Before we begin, I would just like to remind everyone to follow this show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com where you can listen to all the past shows and check out any upcoming show information. We also invite you to subscribe to the podcast WGBB Sports Talk New York on iTunes, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the show tonight is sponsored by Crusaders Hockey. Crusaders Hockey is a nonprofit organization that started in 2009 and runs an open hockey slot on Saturday nights from 10 to 11.30 p.m. at the Town of Oyster Bay Ice Skating Center in Bethpage. The facility is located on 1001 Stewart Avenue in Bethpage. If you have any interest in playing, please text to 516-427-7413 for more information. Many of the players hearing this now will finally have the answer to the question, what I do with all the money. Crusader Hockey, from 18 to 88, you don't even need to know how to skate. If your money is green, we have a spot for you. So that takes care of our introduction and sponsors. Um, to start with, we certainly have to mention the passing of a legend, Hall of Fame basketball player Bill Russell, at the age of 88. He won two NCAA championships as well as 11 championships in his 13-year professional career. In a few minutes, we will have Larry Books of the Post, and we will discuss hockey. So there were some rumblings today concerning the Islanders, Bill. I thought uh, we'd touch on that before Larry called in. Hearing a lot of Nazem Kadri talk. I don't know uh, if that's a good thing, bad thing, or it's unlike it's unlikely to hear the Islanders close in on a on a top free agent, right? That without, never happens without a doubt. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. So, but you know, but we'll see. I mean, the quieter it is, the uh, you know, and that's the Lou Lamarillo way. And I think, as you had mentioned before to me when we were talking, that uh, Elliot Friedman was the first one to say if nobody signed if by September 1st, if they're still on restricted free agents, that they will they be will wearing be an island, yeah, yeah. blue and orange. Yeah. Uh, Bada seemed to be his take, Chris Bada's take, was he was very down on the move. Um, personally, I'm positive. You know, again, it's always it's not coming out of our pockets, you know, I guess in the way it is with the tickets and stuff, but it's something, if they can get that contract and the first first digit is a six, I think it's a positive for the team, I think even for six years. 
Uh, I agree, but you just, I don't know. You, the, the length always, the, you know, the, the, the July signings tend to uh, not look as well a year or two down and the, the road. Uh, and Lou, Lou too, yeah. because Lou extends everybody for, I mean, he extended his whole fourth line with Martin, Sezikis, Clutterbuck. But he, Kadri, I think it was, it might have been a product of playing in Colorado. Obviously that team was tremendous, but he also was good before that he's too. And player. I think, I think he's somebody that could definitely help. Now, if they had to move somebody to clear the money, like, uh, Josh Bailey or something like that. I mean, I don't. I can't see Bailey going when he's five or ten games away from a thousand. It's I just. Don't, I, it's, I don't. I don't. I think Lou would just. I mean, they have to move somebody. I don't think it. It all indications are he really has been vociferous in not wanting to move Varlamov. Uh, yeah, I, they, I you know that 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 would fit. You know, between the money they have and that movement of either five million or Bailey or. Volley would enable them to sign somebody like Kadri, but um, I just don't see him moving Volley. I mean, the Bailey thing with seven to go for a thousand is interesting, but I think it's too. I don't think Lou's sentimental at that point. If it came to, if that's what he had to do, I don't know. It's it's when was the last time an Islander played a thousand games as an Islander? Was it? Oh, yeah. I, no, I wish you would ask me this before I would add it in. <laughs> no. Uh, no, um, and Nystrom finished with 900. 900 yeah. Uh, so Potvin, Potvin, 1062. Trotia. That's it, right? Yeah, because Bossy also didn't make it. Gillies didn't, um, play a thousand, and he wasn't all an Islander anyway. Um, I don't know. I mean, it could happen. I like Josh Bailey. I see no reason to be down on it if they did sign him. Myself, I, uh, I mean, he certainly before after Gaudreau, I think he was probably two or three, right? And they, yes, and the way the summer's gone, they they really haven't done anything, and nothing. they have season tickets to sell, and I'm sure they lost a lot of season ticket holders. You know, being a non-playoff team last year, yeah, um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, they're going to have to. The whole thing with the season tickets is a good point, but I wonder with the Lou way, like. If they don't announce the signings, like when are, when's the mad rush going to be in September? Like a, this is their time where they can get you know if you a pomp and circumstance with a big signing. Like if they would have signed Gaudreau, I, I guarantee you they would have uh, they would have sold a lot of would have sold a lot of seats. Yeah, yeah, it's I know Lou's famous line is if you have time you use it, but it yeah. is a business too. How, how about? If you have time, use it when you're in your 80s, though. That's, <laughs> you know, I mean, I love Lou, but, you know, like it's got to be a – there's got to be – he certainly has to feel the pressure. I mean, the, the new building – last doesn't, year – Lou doesn't feel pressure. No? Never. Last year was a disaster, though. It was a disaster. And um, I, though I do think – I don't – I do think um, they um, – there were so many other circumstances last year. I don't think they're a bad team. No. I don't think. I mean, they're going to be a lot better again. I think. I agree. But I don't know. I agree. The, the, it was a perfect storm. Now they, a lot of it was themselves. It was a lot of bad play as well. But with the schedule, the injuries, COVID, you know, it just everything that Bottom didn't happen. Yeah. yeah, everything that didn't happen to them. The Previous years where they had that run of good luck and success, 
happened last year. Like there was no all in the first he, twenty games, without a doubt, or thirty games, whatever. I, I, not I, that could be the reason he doesn't want to trade Volomov. That was I agree. Like everybody talks about the thirteen game uh, road trip and the COVID, but not having Volomov the first fifteen twenty games was, a killer. was massive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it put it put probably put too, mo- uh, too much on Sorokin, Sorokin rather. Yeah, you know, I think it put too much on him, too much too early. I, I, but I think by the end of the season, he showed that. I think if they did move Volley, he could handle that load. There's no doubt. Is he? He he he's, is the number one. He's the next. I don't know, number one goalie. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. Yeah, about and it. everybody knows it. But you know, it's still a lot. And you and now you're also into you know tomorrow's August first. You have, if they did trade him, they'd have to get another goalie. Yeah, which isn't and a twenty-five game goalie without a doubt. And there was that scramble to get the number twos, like the Rangers getting Halak. Yeah, I think Washington getting Lindbergh. Like that, they're kind of gone too. Like you said, that's a great. And last year point. there was proof that backup goalies are important. You know, to multiple teams throughout the league. When they have both of them, there's no doubt that's the best tandem in the league. Yeah, one with at that higher level, both of them. They're both quality, quality. Not every team. Yes. They're, most teams. They're two starting goalies. Like yeah. I mean, if Shesterkin goes down, that's it's lights out. There's no, you yes. know, we've seen Yarrow Halak. <laughs> you know, he was great yeah. with the Islanders. He was, but I'm just saying he's well beyond that now. Yes. You know, but though, you know, Colorado lost their starting goalie in the playoffs for a little while and. They did, and then they, they signed. Did. And then they let him go at the end of the season. Not only that, they, they they let him go, and they also let, uh, you know, they have Georgiev now, too. I mean, uh, that shocked me a little. I, I, I'm putting your eggs. I guess they're so talented that um, they can afford to do it. Like when you have McCarr in defense and you have so many forwards. Oh, they're loaded. They, they, they are, but yeah. you do need a goaltender, and Kemper yeah. played well. He, I don't know if he's a he, – he on Washington. I don't know if he's a big difference maker. He had a great year a few years ago in Arizona, and everyone thought he was the next big guy. So, you know, he could be. Uh, <laughs> he could be good for uh, Washington. I don't yeah. know. Well, it seems in, like in the division, everybody else has improved. You know, now whether Lou is like we said, they may be improved. We have no idea, but the other teams are clearly improved. I mean, except probably the Islanders and the Rangers. Right, and the Rangers, you know, the Rangers had a great year, and you know they did make a big signing. You know, I don't think they're worried going into the season. No, they're a playoff team. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's no, and especially they have. Yeah. The piece in that, that's the, you know, the, once you have something like that, and he proved last year again, he was a guy who wasn't playing all the time, and now he is, you know, now he, he, they rode him in the playoffs. Um, it'll be interesting to see, because Columbus definitely, you know, another team I missed when I said everybody improved, I guess Philly hasn't either, though, right? No, they, Philly. They got better coaching, maybe, but not... Um, yeah. You wonder if Tortorella, you know, wishes he was still in Columbus. Why... I mean, it's easy for me to say, but is that a job, you know, like years ago, the flyer job, I think is a big job. Is it now just a job to get a job? Or? Uh, the flyers are a marquee franchise. I think they'll yeah. always be a marquee franchise, even though they haven't won in a long, long time. They're still, it's like an original six team. I, they're right. They, yeah, they, yeah. They, have, they have a great history and tradition. They just, you know, um, 
like you said, he might be he might be more likely to he would have been better off rather in Columbus with with Johnny Hockey. So if we could talk about Johnny Hockey in a in a little bit too, uh, as far as Lou going that far to. Um, as far as Lou going to nine million and then not going beyond that, uh, that that part is a killer for me. Okay, our first guest coming up is Larry Brooks. He is currently the Ranger beat writer for the New York Post. He's also the author of the Sunday Slapshots column, a must-read for all hockey fans, which is also in the Post. He began his career as a beat writer columnist in 1975 and covered the Islanders during their glory days. He later became the Vice President of Communications for the New Jersey Devils from 1982 through 92, and after this he returned to the beat. In 2018, Larry won the Elmer Ferguson Award and was inducted into Hockey's Hall of Fame. He can be followed on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy, B-R-O-O-K-S-I-E, and he is also a part of the Up in the Blue Seats podcast. We'd like to thank Larry Brooks for joining us. Larry, oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for taking it, your time to uh, join us. It was uh, we're very happy to get you. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Uh, right out of the gate, I'd like to wonder how you got. Ask you how you got your start uh, becoming a hockey fan, and what led you to become a writer. I, it was something that I um, kind of fell into. To be honest, I I had considered for a long time going to law school. Um, and then didn't and was, was, uh, looking for something to do when I got out of school. And, um, I had the opportunity to become, um, a clerk actually at the post. A friend of mine was working in the sports department at the post and they, um, he told me that they were looking for somebody to become a clerk and work overnight. And as a, as a sports fan, I thought it was, uh, <laughs> I thought it would be great, you know, make some money and, and, uh, be around sports and I was there for a few months and I, and I got an opportunity to, uh, to write during the 1976 Summer Olympics and, um, as a rewrite person and it, it just went right from there into a beat. So I, I was very, very fortunate. I, um, you know, I, I had only been, you know, I'd only been at the post for six or eight months before I, before I got this job and my first job was to become the beat writer of the New York Islanders, which doesn't, you know, it, it just doesn't happen that often. So I was really lucky. I took a, I, I took advantage of an opportunity I had. I loved hockey. I had started going to hockey games with my dad when I was five years old. So, it, you know, it, it was something. I, I had season tickets to the Rangers. Um, so, again, it, it was uh, – um, you know, I, 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 caught a, I, I caught a break, and I was able to take advantage of it. Excellent. Larry, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, you, sa- you said, um, you know, you loved hockey and you kind of fell into the island job. Did you ever think you'd have, like, this kind of influence over hockey? Like, you you, <laughs> you say things I, during the season about who the Rangers should sign, and they almost always do. I mean, not, Panarin, well, like, going back I to... Don't, I, don't, I don't... I don't... I don't... I don't. I don't think they listen to me. But um, you know, <laughs> I, I think I think they're more. You know, they're more inclined to do the opposite. As a matter of fact, you know, the old the old Costanza um, you know, let's do the opposite. But I also I, I know I, I never envisioned having having this part 
in hockey. Um, you know, having, you know, making a career out of covering hockey and, and, and baseball. But, uh, you know, becoming a sports writer, uh, if you had told me when I was 10 years old that this was going to be my career, I, I, I would have been, you know, ecstatic. Um, not knowing what the word would have meant back then, but, um, I, you know, and I try never to forget, um, how lucky I am, how lucky I've been. Um, you know, when I, when I leave, um, you know, when I leave the garden, actually, uh, after games, a lot of times if I walk, if I walk down the staircase, it's actually, uh, it's actually the same staircase, essentially, that I walked down when I was, a season ticket holder in section 419 in, in, you know, in the old days when the building opened. So, uh, and I, and I remind myself of that sometimes that, you know, if, if I had known this, uh, in 1970, I, I wouldn't have believed it. So, um, I don't, I don't know how much influence I have, but, but I, but I, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's been just a, um, you know, it's just been a pleasure for me to do this. Cool. Great answer. So, can we go to the current Rangers now? Um, do you like? Sure. Do you like sure. them? Did they what they've done? The Trocheck signing, or I know they lost a few players. Do you do you think they'll be a better team? Or do you think? Well, I think that remains to be seen. Um, listen, they we know how cap strapped they are. They're going. You know, they are squeezed on the cap. They're going to be squeezed even more next year. Um. So their options were limited this summer. I think they did well with the Trocheck signing. Um, I think they got him at a very good number. I know the contract is, is, you know, is lengthy. The term is, is lengthy, seven years, but I honestly, I'm, I'm not a person who worries about six years from now. And I don't think the Rangers should be worrying about six years from now either. You know, we're, we're back on 28 years and this is a team that that should be a contender for the next well in the foreseeable future they should be a contender you know whether they can they can make the next step remains to be seen but um i think they'll be a good team um in order for them to take the next step though their younger players are going to have to take the next step you know they they lost obviously cop they lost petrano they lost Strom and replaced Strom with Trocheck, but it remains to be seen whether Trocheck will play as well with Panarin as Strom did. I, listen, I, I think Trocheck was a good signing again. I, I think I think he's going to be a productive player for them. He plays with a little more bite than Strom does. He's a more physical player. Um, he's not big though, and and the Rangers did need to add some size, and they really haven't done that at least as of now. Um, but, but, you know, they're, they're going to be, they, their expectations are elevated because of what last year's team did, and next year's team isn't going to be the same. You know, Lafreniere is going to have to, uh, Lafreniere and Hedl are, are going to have to pick up where they left off from the playoffs because the Rangers are going to need them now to produce. They're, you know, they, they can't be considered kids and, and, you know, whose production would be a bonus for them. Um, you know, I, I, I expect much better things from Lafreniere and Heedle, um, coming off their playoffs. Kako is going to have to be a productive player. Um, you know, Ke'Andre Miller on defense is going to have to continue, um, his upward trajectory. And sometimes that's, you know, at some point, um, Ke'Andre may, may struggle a bit. And, you know, his first two years have, have been like a dream. And, you know, it's, it, it's generally not that easy. 
for a guy breaking in, but but he has made it easy. He has made it look easy. So you know there are there are question marks within the team, but they are they are a solid team now with a base of success, and they have an elite goaltender in a in a league that doesn't really have too many anymore. It's 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 interesting how this has evolved. That you can look around the league and and you see a lot of question marks. You see a lot of you know maybe one B goalies or or you know. Or, or B goalies, but not a, not a lot of A plus goalies in the NHL right now. And the Rangers have one. Tampa has one. The Islanders might possibly have one, but there aren't very many. And so that, that is a huge advantage the Rangers bring to the season with Igor Shesterkin. Just a, a massive edge for them. Again, in a league where goaltending seems to be a little bit down at this point. Larry, I have a two part question for you. Um, what led you to leaving the beat in the 80s, 82, to become the Devil's Communication, to the VP of the Devil's Communication Department? And also, the must-ask there is, what was it like working in an organization with Lou Lamarillo? Well, I had, I had written for six years, and, and, you know, it's funny looking back now, because now I'm obviously have done this for many decades, but... After six years, um, I was I was a little restless, and it coincided with the Colorado Rockies moving to the Meadowlands, and the general manager, coach of the team, was Billy McMillan, and I had covered Billy when he played for the Islanders um, in 76, 77, 77, 78, and we had gotten, you know, reasonably friendly, and when the, um, when Colorado came over, we had a conversation, and he asked me if I would have any interest in coming over to the hockey side. And I did. I thought it would be a great challenge for me. And um, so I had I had a couple of interviews. I, I, I talked to Max McNabb. I interviewed with Max McNabb, who was the vice president of hockey operations. I interviewed with John McMullen, who owned the team. And one, one of the... Um, one of the most attractive aspects for me was that since this was going to be a new team, you know, the Devils were a new team, that I was going to be able to institute policies and establish precedents and really just run the PR department the way I saw, you know, the way I would have wanted it to have been run if I were a writer. And I, I really li- I like that. I embrace that. Um, Later, I, I branched out a little bit into uh, uh, marketing, and I, and I uh, negotiated some sponsorship contracts. I was involved in negotiating uh, media contracts. Um, so it, it was it was uh, it was interesting for me, and you know, I learned an immense amount about how a, how a professional sports organization runs. Obviously, in the eighties, um, it was almost uh, looking back, it was almost primitive. To the way organizations are being run now. I mean, when I, when I joined in, in 1982, uh, the front office might have, I, I don't think the front office staff was larger than 12 or 15 people. Wow. <laughs> you know, now, and now, now teams have, you know, hundreds of people working for them. They're, you know, they're multi, you know, they're billion dollar corporations. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a less formal time. I, I had a tremendous amount of fun doing it. Um, there, there was something very, very um, satisfying about being part of a team 
and, you know, uh, enjoying the highs when you won and, and, you know, then going through the lows when you lost. And obviously the Devils when I was there, um, you know, we're not, you know, we were just starting. So the first number of years was, you know, we were awful. And, uh, and then Lou came in 87, 88. And I learned an immense amount from Lou. Um, I, I, I also learned to get a haircut on time. And I learned uh, to get a shave on time. Now, you, there would be times where if I had gone like a, you know, a couple of days without a shave, um, you know, Lou would, you know, Lou would be walking by the office. He'd stop in. He'd take, he would, he would take a dollar bill out of his pocket. Throw it on my desk and say, uh, time, time to go for a shave. <laughs> yeah, you might want to, you might want to give this as a tip to your baba. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, so, you know, Lou, um, I, I, I learned a lot about responsibility and accountability from Lou. And Lou, you know, Lou and, and listen, I, I cover Lou, so it's, it's, um, and I write about Lou, um, so there is a is an interesting dynamic, right. but he is a longtime family friend. He attended my son's wedding. Um, he and my he and my son actually are 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 you know have stayed close. So and and, and I always enjoy you know seeing Lou and and you know we have a little bit of a different relationship because we work together. Um, but um, you know I look back at those years with Lou and I was there for five years with Lou. And, um, you know, a, a lot, a lot of, a lot of my, um, a lot of my viewpoints on hockey were, were formed back, uh, back with Lou in, in those years. So we're, we're lucky to have you here now. So you can tell us exactly what Lou's doing this summer and what, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, give us yeah. the scoop. Cause <laughs> no. Lou, Lou, you know, I, I was actually saying this to somebody yesterday about this, Apparent pension of his for, uh, you know, this, this, uh, you know, secrecy to the extreme that you don't know if he assigned guys to contracts because he thinks if he withholds the information, then he has an advantage in going out and getting somebody else. I don't quite see it through those eyes. And I can tell you that that's never the way he's operated before. So I think he's gotten a little more, a little more extreme in, in, in the later years. Um, uh, you know, who knows who's under contract? I mean, you can look, you can take a look at like four or five guys who haven't been signed yet and wonder, well, you know, does Lou have the signed contract in his in his bottom drawer? I don't know. Um, I, I don't I don't know. Maybe Noah Dobson has been signed at this. Point. I, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe Romanov has Romanov has been signed. I don't know. Maybe Nazem Kadri has been signed. I don't know. Um, but uh, you know th- this is this is not commonplace, and and um, I don't quite get it because I don't think it gives I, I don't think it gives the Islanders an advantage. But um, I would say this that uh, from an Islanders perspective, I certainly would hope that he has um, has some players uh, has some players to add to the roster because I I don't I take a look at, at you know their roster right now. And I'm not sure if it's a playoff team, and I don't think it's a contending team right now. I could be wrong. Um, you know, they they have a, a great pedigree, but I think right now they're, you know, they're trying to play um, a game that was more suited for five, six, eight, ten, twelve years ago. I don't, 
I, I think they're, I don't, I don't think you can grind through an 82 game season and have anything left for the playoffs at this point. I think you need a little bit more skill. I think you a little, uh, need more speed. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the way the Islanders went to the, uh, semifinals the consecutive years. Um, I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a team filled with pros. There's no question about it. And, but I just think they're lacking in high end talent and speed that is necessary to get through an 82 game season. You know, I, I, again, I, you know, they're going to lean on Sorokin and, and Ravalimov to win two to one or three to two every night. I think it's too difficult. I just, I do, I, I just do. And, um, you know, I, you know, that may be where I differ from Lou, or maybe Lou has something that he's going to pull off, you know, before training camp starts. Do you think they'll do anything different with Lane Lambert as opposed to Barry Trotz? Or like, does he, I don't well, know. he's been, you know, he's, that's an interesting one. I, 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 I wouldn't expect a radical change. Um, you know, I, I don't know that there's anything in his background that would lead one to believe that, you know, there's going to be a much, you know, a much different approach. I think obviously he's going to, his communication will, will change with players and, and there may be some, um, there, I'm sure there will be some adjustments. But again, it, it's, it's the talent they have. It's, it's, it's the players they have. And, you know, Anders Lee is going to play one way and Brock Nelson is going to play one way. And, and, um, you know, so, uh, you know, their, their D is good, but they need, you know, they need more mobility back there and, and their forwards are, are, are defensively responsible, but they need a little, you know, they need to open it up a little bit more. They need, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see, how they handle Wallstrom if he's still on, if he's on the team, you know, if he's not involved in, in a trade, um, you know, will he get ice time this year? Um, I don't know because they, they need players who can score goals. They need guys, you know, I, I thought they did the right thing by, by moving Everly last year, um, by leaving him exposed in the expansion draft. And in fact, after the playoffs had ended, um, the season before when they lost to Tampa, in seven, I actually had written that they they needed to move Everly because at that point, looking at their team, they had gone two straight years to the semifinals and they couldn't beat Tampa. And Everly really hadn't played very well against Tampa in either year. And I and I was looking at it as if as as you know you you need to be able to bring in players who can play against Tampa. You know, you have to beat the best and. Two years in a row in, in the series against Tampa, I thought Everly was very disappointing. So I, I, I agreed with with, uh, with moving him. I thought they needed an upgrade on him. However, they did not replace the easy goals he scores during the season. You know, he, he is a goal scorer. There's right. no doubt. I, I mean, I like Jordan Everly. He's a terrific regular season player. Right. And, you know, he popped a couple in in the playoffs, too. But, you know, for the most part, he's going to score goals when the team is down. It's a December game. And you're looking for somebody to score a couple of goals. And Jordan Everly is the kind of player who can do that. I think that, that, that Lou might have thought that Kyle Palmieri was going to provide that same type of production, but Palmieri just, you know, had a, had a miserable season yeah. last year. Okay. And so, you know, maybe they get more out of Palmieri this year, but, you know, he is, he is still not the elite talent. I think they, 
you know, I, I think they need to add to play with Mark, Matt Barzell right. because, um, you know, Barzell didn't have a particularly representative season last year. I thought he was okay. Um, but he wasn't Matt, Matt Barzell right. and Matt Barzell should be among the best players in the league. And I don't think he was anywhere close to it last year. Yeah. Well, Larry, really appreciate you taking the time. And if, uh, they ever let us do another show. I hope we'd be able to get you back. But it, thanks so much for your time and coming on and the insight. And, no, uh, I enjoyed it. Have thanks a great rest I, of the I, summer. I, I appreciate it. You Thank too. you, Larry. You too, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. And we're going to go to a break now and be back in two minutes. to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. We're back. What an interview, Bill. I have to admit, I was very, you know, going in, you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, we asked because we know how much he knows, and uh, he showed it right there. He really he did. Great. He's great. Really great. Great to us. Uh, our next guest is Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post, the lead columnist. He's also the author of Vac Wax on the, in his Sunday column. His Twitter is at MikeVac, V-A-C-C. He's the author of several books, including The First Fall Classic, The Emperors and the Idiots, which is the 100-year rivalry between the Yankees and the Red Sox from the very beginning to the end of the course, and 1941, The Greatest Year in Sports, Two Baseball Legends, Two Boxing Champs, and The Unstoppable Thoroughbred. Mike has also won three New York Sports Writer of the Year's Award, and we'd like to welcome Mike to the show right now. Mike, thanks very much for joining us and doing this. We appreciate it. Hey, Chris, my pleasure. Good talking to you. Thank you. Uh, just at it, right out of the gate, I'm wondering, uh, what, growing up on Long Island, what led you to become a sports writer? Was it something right away in your youth? I know you, I know you played ball also, basketball, but, uh, I was wondering if that was something even when you were early teens that you had an interest in. You know what? I mean, it goes back even further than that, Chris, I'll be very honest. My father took me to Old Timers Day at Chase Stadium in 1974. And we, uh, you know, it was kind of just had my eyes wide open like any seven year old would. And everything, all the sights and sounds of a baseball stadium, and he points to the press box, and he said, that's where the sports writers work. And I asked him, you know, I asked him, I said, what, what, what do sports writers do? And he kind of explained it to me. And suddenly at 87, I'm like, well, that's what I want to do. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't long after I started, I played, uh, I played some ball in high school, and I realized I wasn't going to probably play in the NBA or play Major League Baseball. So, uh, you know, you can, sports writing is, is, is kind of a nice, Marriage is two of your favorite things in life are sports and, and writing, and that's kind of the way it worked out for me. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to make my living at it ever since. Great. How you doing, Mike? This is Bill. Um, 
pleasure talking to you. Um, did you have like a favorite sports writer growing up? Like, or you know, mine was Oscar Madison, but I don't know if you remember him. <laughs> Oscar Madison was my. I, I, I certainly, uh, I think, patterned much of my lifestyle off of Oscar Madison. <laughs> you and I both. <laughs> you know, I, I, I had a number of guys that I read growing up. I mean, I read Frank DeFord in Sports Illustrated religiously, Curry Kirkpatrick religiously. Excuse me, I read Steve Serby in the Post a lot when I was a kid. He loves when I tell him that because now he's a colleague of mine. Um, <laughs> you read a lot of Mike Lukica in Newsday, read a lot of uh, Steve Jacobson and uh, Joe Gergen and uh, Bill Knack sure. before he went to Sports Illustrated, and then I read Bill Knack religiously in Sports Illustrated. So, you know, one of the great things about growing up on Long Island was the fact that at least growing up in Long Island in those days was he had all these great writers working in newspapers. I mean, you can read them every day. Tony Kornheiser worked at Newsday. You know, and he, you know, I, I don't think I realized who Tony Kornheiser was when I was reading him, but I, you know, it's the kind of thing you're able to do when you're reading Newsday every day, when you're reading the, the Daily News and the Post and the Times every day. You know, ours is a newspaper family, so um, I really kind of got absorbed into the daily ritual of spending 45 minutes with the newspapers every day. And in fact, uh, you know, true story, I got the, I got detention at Chaminade one time because I brought a newspaper to school. In those days, you weren't <laughs> supposed to bring a newspaper to school. I guess it was considered contraband. <laughs> and one of the yeah. brothers caught me, uh, caught me reading at a study hall, and so I wanted, uh, you know, having to pick up some, uh, some, some debris on the floor in the, uh, the detention hall, the detention room afterwards. So, but it was worth it. <laughs> you got home and you're like, Mom, it was just Newsday. I mean, you know, it was only the newspaper. That was it. <laughs> That's exactly right. In fact, I guess, you know, on the list of transgressions a 16-year-old can do with a newspaper, it's probably, it's probably not that, uh, not that high on the list. So I, I, did, I did okay with that. <laughs> now, you, my favorite columns of yours are you, you, I don't, I call them nostalgia columns. Like you write about, you know, when you were a kid growing up or watching sports mm-hmm. or whatever. And I think it's because you were from Long Island or whatever. Like in New York, we have two teams in every sport, and it's just different than everywhere else. And I think a sports writer can know hockey and baseball and football, but I think you show what it was like to grow up in this in an area like this where we it's just unique to, you know, in this country, I think. Well, I, mean, I think that's one of the advantages of, of working where you grew up. It really is. I mean, you know, I grew up a Mets fan, but I certainly grew up an admirer. Of the, I actually was lucky. I grew up in a, in a, in a house. Where my, you know, my, my, my father was a Yankees fan, he was a Giants fan, he was a Knicks fan, but he never rooted against the Nets or the Jets or the Mets. He always rooted for New York. And, you know, in those days, it was, you were never going to get uh, one of those teams, two of those teams facing each other in the Super Bowl or the World Series, so uh, you were able to get away with that. Um, it wasn't until I think I got the show, and I was, was kind of <laughs> right that I said, no, you got to pick one. you got to pick one in every sport. Um, but, you know, the fact is that I, that, that I grew up knowing even the teams I didn't necessarily root for, I, I, I grew up knowing all about them, and I think that's one of the great advantages you have when you when you work in a town where you grew up. I mean, I've worked in other markets. I worked in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I worked, you know, in in, 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 in Arkansas. Um, and, you know, I, I think I had the same sensibilities of the things that I liked to read back in those days when I was writing them, but you can't pretend that you grew up in Kansas City if you grew up, you know, 1,200 miles away right. on Long Island. So I can, I can write romantically about the Royals from the 70s, you know, and, and know who George Brett was, and know who Paul Splittorf was, and so on and so forth. But it's it's just different. I didn't grow up, you know, living and dying with the Royals. I didn't grow up living and dying with the right. Chiefs. So, you know, as much as I would like to try and you know bring passion and energy to my stories about Len Dawson or, or you know, or or, 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 uh, or William Lanier back in the day, I mean, it's just not the same if you're not you know from there. I mean, you can fake it, 
but when you know, in, in my situation, since I grew up in New York, I don't have to fake it. I mean, this is exactly the stuff I know. And I'll tell you, there's nobody that ever gives me a better compliment than when they, you know, on a day like, like this happened a lot this week because of the Subway Series, and, you know, half my mail will be accusing me of being a, you know, a Yankee fanboy, and half my mail will accuse me of being a Mets, you know, <laughs> a guy who wears Mets booties when I go to bed. And to me, that means I've done my job well, because if you can't tell who I grew up rooting for, you know, now I just grew up rooting, now I just root for good stories. I don't really have a, right. a rooting interest one way or the other, but, uh, you know, when somebody tells me that they think that I'm rooting for this team or that team, I think I've probably done my, my job because it means I'm probably right down the middle. So obviously you're not, you don't have a rooting interest anymore. You want the good story, but do you remember the last time, like, you really were rooting for a, a, like a game that... I absolutely do. Yeah, yeah. sure. I mean, I, I, I can identify. I probably can't still cite the, the date, although there was a time I could, but it was, uh, it was game five of the 93 NBA playoffs, the Knicks and the Bulls. And I think we all know it now as the Charles Smith game. And I was working in Arkansas, and I was with my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. I was actually, I wasn't with her. I was in my, I was in, I was in my apartment and waiting for her to come, uh, to come visit me. And she walked in my apartment, and she saw me walking back and forth on the floor. <laughs> and she said, why in the world are you on the floor? And I said, well, this is, this, this is a lucky spot. <laughs> and then, I, I mean, I think she wanted to ask why I was rocking back and forth and really didn't want to know the answer. Um, but, you know, it wasn't long after that that I wanted uh, migrating back east, and so I started to cover those teams again. And you know, over time, you know, whatever fan interest you had dissipates. But I remember very well the agony of that night and watching Charles Smith blow those layups that he's getting his shot blocked. And, and I also remember very vividly my wife looking at me like I you know, just arrived from Pluto. <laughs> Mike, uh, the industry you're in over the last 20 years has changed so much. Uh, I just want your thoughts on what's for the better or what was for the worse in, in your Well, what's for the worse is, is just the business plan. I mean, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot fewer newspapers than there were 20 years ago. You know, certainly many, many more fewer, many, many fewer papers than there were 15 years ago, and so on. Which means you know fewer jobs for people like myself. So of course that's that, that that's definitely the problem. Um, that said, I mean, the way the industry has gone to me is one that's exciting to me. I, I'm, I'm a guy who actually likes the immediacy of the Internet and likes, you know, being able to write something at 2.30 in the afternoon and you don't have to wait until 6 o'clock in the morning to see the paper. I mean, it's, 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 it's online, you know, by 4 o'clock or 4.30, and then you get to post it on Twitter, and then you get to interact with people on social media and in your email. I like that part of it. I know a lot of people, maybe not necessarily my age, but, you know, just slightly older, you know, have grown weary of that. Right. Um, which is a shame because that's not going away. That's just the way it's going to be from, from now on, for better or worse. I'm not saying it's all positive, but for me, I mean, it's, it makes the job a lot more exciting because it's a media to it. You know, people respond to it. I mean, you know, back in the day, you know, when you wrote something and somebody wanted to respond to you, they really had to, they had to, you know, go to their, you know, either go to their typewriter or go to their loose leaf notebook and start writing and then put a put an envelope, put in a stamp, and, you know, by the time you did that, you probably weren't mad anymore. <laughs> well, you probably weren't excited anymore. And you probably, you certainly weren't going to do that just to say, hey, I really like that column. And why do you have email? And so I get all kinds of feedback. And look, I mean, I, I, I really, I try and be, 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 be very, uh, you know, neutral when I read it. I mean, I try to look at my emotions to get away with it. Because, you know, look, I mean, you're, you're writing about sports, and people are emotional about sports. And so, you know, if you, if you write something they don't like about your team, I mean, they're going to, you know, email is easy. You hit click a couple buttons and you can call somebody anything you want to call. And so I understand that. And sometimes I like to have fun and say, hey, thanks for your opinion. You know, keep that in mind. If they call me one of the seven names you can't say on TV, and, you know, whatever, that's the way it goes. And usually I get a note back from them a few minutes later saying, hey, I was just, you know, mad. I'm like, I totally get it. That's sports and I, that's fine. 
But uh, but I like that part of it. I do, and I think it helps keep me honest. I do because I you know there's so many options now. Of, you know because so many people can 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 can, can uh, offer up opinions, whether it's on social media, whether it's you know you know I know blogs are kind of ancient now, but I mean whatever. Just to me, in, in those kind of you know modern abilities, the modern ability to express your opinion is such that you really have to be able to kind of distance yourself in some way, whether it's because of good reporting, whether it's because of good insight, whether it's because of you know, smart writing or whatnot, and it really kind of challenges you every day. You can't get away with mailing it in at all. And I think there was—I I do think there was a time in our in our industry when, when you reached a certain level, I mean, you were able to kind of mail it in for the final five or six years of your career because, you know, there was nobody to call you on it. Now there's somebody to call you on it five minutes after you, after you write the story. And I like that. You're probably going to get tons of tweets after doing this interview. Because the audience <laughs> is wait. enormous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? WGBB is a, is a, you know, those are callers from my childhood. So this right. is, uh, you talk about a guy who likes nostalgia. I love this. All right. Uh, well, we love having you. So can we talk a little bit about current sports now? Like, of course. Uh, Aaron Judge, I mean, it's, it's amazing, no? Or? It is. Look, I mean, what I think is going to be interesting to see is, is uh, I think he's going to get to 62 home runs, and I think that's going to be quite an achievement. And I think people are going to then say, well, that's the legitimate record. I suppose you can have that debate, you know, forever. Um, you know, when we, we, we know how many home runs that uh, Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sandy Sosa hit uh, when they were not, you know, playing on the level, when they weren't playing clean. So I guess you can but – those, but, those, but those numbers are still in the record books, you know, for better or worse, whether we like yeah. it or not. The same way the Astros championship in 2017 is still in the record books. Um, you know, it's just not that you know, baseball's way isn't to, you know, do what they do in college sports where they take, you know, Memphis State's banners off the wall or Louisville's banners off the wall. Um, so I think that's going to be the interesting part of it. I don't think there's any questions probably going to get to the 62. I'm going to, I don't know if he's got, you know, who knows? I mean, he's, he's such a, he's such a streaky home run here that sometimes he can give you 10 in two weeks and all of a sudden you know, you're in a number. And you start wondering how far he can go, but uh, it's to me it's not just the number of home runs he's hit, but just the quality of them and the, you know, the things they've done to help the Yankees, you know, be what they are this year. Um, you know, I, I, I was one of the few I thought at the beginning of the year I thought the Yankees were going to be fine. I thought they were going to be very good. I picked them to finish first in the division. I didn't think they were going to, you know, for a while they were on a 119 win pace. I didn't see that coming. But whatever they do this year, it's obviously fueled by Judge and by the by, by the knowledge. Like even today, they lost a tough game today. But they had a shot because they knew if they got a runner on and judge up, then they'd have to the time with the plate. He didn't hit home run this time, but there was, you know, 45,000 people in Yankee Stadium who really believed in their heart of hearts that he was going to. And I mean, what's better than that? No, no doubt about it. Mike, I just had a quick question, too, about uh, your books. Which one, we mentioned them at the top, which one did you enjoy researching the most and why? What, what, which one did you really like digging into? Yeah, well, you know, I really love the 41 book because I was able to tell four terrific stories uh, and, and intertwine them in a way that has been intertwined. I think all four of those stories have been told on their own uh, before, before I, before I sat down and read, write, write the book. But, uh, you know, I was really inspired to write that because I ran into Phil Rizzuto not long after 9-11. And he talked about how important newspapers were him, were for him, you know, in, in those days after 9-11 in the same way and he cited 1941. Because he was a kid then, he was a rookie, and he said, you know, you want to read the sports page because you were afraid of what you would find in the other parts of the paper, which is very similar to what it was 9-11. And that kind of got me thinking about 1941 and all these great events happened, but they also happened with the backdrop of a you know, gathering storm in, you know, overseas and you know, what became two fronts. And being able to tell those stories, it really was a fun book. I mean, I think that's the book of mine that's really held up the best. I think... Uh, you know, the problem with the Yankees Red Sox book is, you know, as much as I loved writing that book, that book was almost entirely done 
on, on the day the Yankees woke up with a three-game lead, a three-zero lead, <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, it was. I mean, all I had to do was was was, was file like a two thousand word epilogue of that season. It was mostly about the two thousand and three season, but I was going to incorporate it in two thousand and four because you know everybody knows the Yankees always beat the Red Sox, and certainly my premise was going to be you know was, 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 was going to come through again. And needless to say, uh, when the when the Red Sox interrupted my plans, I wound up having to go back and. We read about 40,000 words of that book in about three weeks, which was not a fun experience. It probably wound up as a better book. It probably didn't sell nearly as many copies as it would because it would have because I had the unique double whammy of being a New York writer and the New York fans probably didn't want to read again about the Yankees ball in a 3 0 lead. And Boston fans didn't want to, you know, the privilege of reading a New York writer talk about that. So unfortunately, uh, you know, my dreams of a beach house in Malibu were kind of started, but that book itself turned out to be probably a better book. And the Yankees weren't too happy with how things turned out there either. So. <laughs> no, that's very true. So, so now I have two boys and we talk sports. Pretty much everything we talk about is sports, and when I have a complaint, I always say, uh, when I'm the commissioner of all sports, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change this. And you wrote a column uh, about a couple of years ago where you basically said the same thing if you when you were the grand poobah. I don't know if you remember it, but like what you would do to fix a few sports. Is there anything that you would change in any of, you know, baseball, football, hockey, whatever, basketball, if you could? I'm- yeah, the, 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 the first thing I the, the, the first thing I do is, would, is something I think you could do with, with a little bit of thought. And that's you know come to a come to a good re- replay policy because replay is something that's, that was supposed to be a good thing in sports, and too often it's become a real burden to watch these games because it just slows the games down. I think baseball is ahead of the field now. I, I really do think that the baseball replay rule has been modified to the point now where you know it doesn't take a lot of time. Um, they're able to they, 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 they're able to come to their to their judgment quick enough to where it doesn't really add extra time. You can watch an NBA game sometimes, and it's just laborious to watch because they're watching every out of bounds play in the last minute, and it's just it's it just it, it's too much. And football sometimes these reviews take far longer than they're supposed to. There's got to be a way to make it, you know, less laborious to watch. To me, that's the one thing that I would want to get out of it. The other thing I would love to see, you know, and I realize this is a pipe dream. Because you know they finance sports now, and you know uh, I, I can't look at this horse in the mouth. They, they certainly underwrite a portion of the New York Post, which is which which is all the gambling sites. Because I don't, I mean, it's not that I'm opposed to gambling. I mean, I certainly have been you know known to place a wager in my day, especially now that it's legal. But I just don't like the fact that it's omnipresent, and it just seems in the day in, in this day and age, it's so easy to get kids at an early age to get used to this as a as a normal thing. I mean, I had a bad experience, luckily, when I was very young with, with sports gambling. I didn't lose, I didn't get into any danger, but I just had one very bad experience, you know, working with, a, with, 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 with somebody I worked with and his bookie, and I just, I, I lost a terrible bet, and I just realized that's, that that just wasn't for me. Um, I just think that it's too easy to, 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 to get kids, you know, and I gotta get it. That's, it's not going away, and it's probably gonna be on, you know, in the same way that fathers if you tell their sons about drugs and alcohol and how you have to be, you know, how you have to you know, approach life in moderation, it's going to be the same kind of conversation when it comes to sports betting. But it's gone from zero to seventy overnight, and I think that's. I mean, I don't even think we've heard the tip of the iceberg in terms of the sad stories that have happened as a result. And that's just for young people. You can only imagine what it's like now that this is available to people who are more inclined to do that anyway. 
I get off my soapbox now with that one. No, no, it is. Uh, <laughs> you you watch all the games, and all you see is the lines, and you know, for the rest of the game, if this guy will get a hit, that guy. I mean, it is. It's changed it's, the way people talk about sports. You know, I get it. Look, I mean, it's 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 part of what makes people issue in sports. Look, you know, fantasy football essentially is gambling, right? And fantasy football yeah. is considered this innocent American pastime now. I mean, essentially, it's gambling. You put up, you know, you put up a hundred dollars to be in the pool, or a thousand dollars to be in the pool. It's gambling. Yeah. An NCAA bracket pool, that's gambling. You know, a Super Bowl box pool, that's gambling. But it, 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 it was always different. That was like, you know, four or five times a year kind of thing for these things. And the, leagues, the leagues weren't involved either. Right? And the leagues weren't involved. It was, yeah. it was, you know, even though it was, it was kind of hypocritical and, and they were, you know, kind of like blind, turning a blind eye to it, it just wasn't everywhere. Now it's everywhere. And yeah. Look, I'm, I'm just trying to picture what, my, what I would have been like as a 16-year-old with my first iPhone. And, you know, an ability to, to, to log on to a site, you know, it's, if I was able to figure out how to get it away from my father and my mother. All those nostalgia um, columns imagine. would have been different. You would have exactly. been like, all yeah, those nostalgia columns right. like, yeah, I lost right. I mean, two grand on the Mets. <laughs> right, you feel a heartbreak of, like, you know, Terry Pendleton hitting a home run off of Roger exactly. McDowell and talking about the heartache of a bad peak. <laughs> it just has a little less romance to it, you know? Yeah, that's so, that's so true. <laughs> Mike, I was just wondering, too, uh, over your career in New York, the three most, not the best players, but the best interviews where you, if you needed something, they were a go-to guy, any, any team, mm-hmm. any sport. Number one, uh, and I think there are a lot of guys who do my job, but were probably uh, a great, Ernie Accorsi, the, form, the former general manager for okay. the Giants, was not just available and accessible, but he, but, but he knew how to tell stories. He was conversant not only on football but on other sports because he'd been a sports writer, which, of course, probably might have been part of a secret. But uh, he was incredible. I could put him on a variety of subjects. He was always good. I must, have, I must have written 25 columns that started either with me and Ernie talking or me calling Ernie or Ernie calling me uh, because we had that kind of relationship over the years. And so that was wonderful. David Cohn, you know, if you, if you watch his work on, on TV, I mean, you can just tell how engaging he is, how involved he is, how smart he is. Um, as a player, he was a guy who was an absolute go-to in terms of uh, of uh, you, know, t- you know telling telling you about uh, you know why things happened and why things didn't happen. And really, number three is is probably Buck Showalter because I mean, you know, and really, I'm talking about the the, the 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 first incarnation of Buck when he was with the Yankees because in those days, you know, the pregame wasn't a TV show the way it is now. So it was a bunch of like like ten or twelve guys in a room, you know, men and women in a room, reporters. With Buck, and you know, and, and you know, if you, I was just starting out then, and if you just were smart enough to listen to smart questions and smarter answers coming from Buck, I learned more than half of the baseball that I know just by listening to those sessions. Wow. And uh, you know, he's a guy who was always willing to kind of. You know, he may not tell you everything that, that, that he knows, but he'll tell you everything you need. <laughs> Which is kind of, you know, is, yeah. you know, when you're a sports writer, that's really all you ask. Right. Just fill my notebook and. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to force you to take a, to take a sodium pentothal exam. Just, uh, <laughs> I'll just go with what you give me. And, uh, and uh, so those are probably my big three right now. It did ever shift the list, although I will say that I think Ernie's probably retired the trophy from me, right. even as he's more or less retired from public life, which is a shame because uh, I, would, you know, I never grew tired of talking to him, and mm-hmm. his stories were, were, were always a source of incredible inspiration for me. Well, he was a sports writer, too, right, before? He was a sports writer. I mean, you know, so. a little low fact, I mean, 
I would assume that you guys like me are probably fans of the movie Diner. Who was the guy who provided the I Baltimore Colts quiz question <laughs> yes. for, uh, for Eddie and uh, Eddie, Eddie and Elise? So. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, Mike, thank you so much for joy, really uh, taking time out of a Sunday night to do this. It really, uh, really meant a lot. Hey guys, to us. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. And, uh, yeah. Thank you. Have a great night. Have a great summer, Mike. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Well, Bill, we got two minutes left. (laughs) I think uh, we survived it up until this point, at least. But thanks to Larry Brooks and Mike Vaccaro. All the credit goes to them. They were fantastic. Absolutely great. Yeah. like to thank also anybody who's listened, especially if you stayed to the end, all two of you. Like to thank, like we said, Larry Brooks and Mike Vaccaro who just uh, agreeing to do it, and then not only that, I mean the the interviews, not the questions, the interview, <laughs> their responses were tremendous. I'd also like to thank Rob Cowell for the opportunity for me and Bill, and a huge thanks to our board operator Brian Graves, who he gave the thumbs up. I he can't wait for us to get out of here. Though, that's for sure, you know. Uh-huh. But uh, I'd also like to thank uh, my brother-in-law, Bill Weisler, too, for uh, hanging in there with me, too. I wouldn't have done it, couldn't have done it without him, and uh, thank- I appreciate him doing it. Thanks for asking. Uh, I was a little nervous. I'm still a little nervous, but well, yeah, I won't be in about a minute and two seconds. Well, we could have <laughs> we could have Brian, Brian start the end of the show early if we had to, but it covered a lot, covered a lot of hockey, which we're comfortable with, and uh, got to, I think, really... Um, the, the guests, the responses couldn't have gone any better. I mean, they got very lucky in picking two, and two really good guests. So, you know, I'm very lucky that they agreed to do they it. They agreed to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to say again, this may be the final voyage, but <laughs> I had a blast doing it. I hope you did too, Bill. It was great. And, Thank you. Uh, thanks for everybody for listening, and have a great rest of your summer. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.